If you don't remember, it was probably hypothermia that uh, caused that. So um, it was. Uh, it, it actually works into the sermon series because it's all about trials that we go through. And uh, I appreciate you coming back and persevering through that. Um, some people actually uh, they lost their fingers, fell off from frostbite, and put them in the offering. I mean, it was just it was crazy. It was sacrificial giving like I've never seen. But. Uh, Anyway, we are in trials, uh, James chapter 1, 2 through 8, talking about this call to live in trials and, and how Christ would want us to operate and, uh, and to, to treat each other, to look at him, to live life. And uh, last week, uh, well, we'll just go through uh, verse 2 here, all the way up through verse 8. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, a double-minded woman, unstable in all her ways or his ways. Ask in faith, no doubts. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He gives us a word picture, James does, of doubt. He says, if you want to see how God sees doubt, look at the wave on a sea in a storm when it's driven by the wind, tossed around by the wind. A, a few days ago, I got an email, and I think this was from God because it was just one of those things. I never get emails about waves. I just never do. And this person sent me some pictures of waves and it was actually of Lake Erie up on the Ontario side. Just if you go north of Cleveland, it's literally a straight shot. This is where the guy took the pictures up on the Canadian side. And uh, it was during a storm uh, that he took these pictures. There's like seven pictures here. So I think it's the last one. He says, doubt is like a wave in the sea driven and tossed by the wind. The more you understand a wave tossed by the wind, driven by the wind, the more you understand doubt. This guy, uh, his name's Dave Sanford, is the one who took the pictures. Um, he's actually in this wetsuit in the middle of you know, the water taking these pictures. And uh, he says he's in a particular place where you don't know where these waves are coming from. And they're just, it's just no rhyme or reason. It just creates this chaos and these collisions. It's a great picture, I think, of what God thinks about doubt. A person who doubts is driven by external forces, tossed around by elements stronger than her, stronger than him. 
You know what the head-scratcher is in all this, is we just studied last week, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask of God, and he will give generously to all without finding fault. I like that verse. We talked a lot about that verse, that God doesn't insult people. What are you asking me for? Doesn't blame them or find fault with them. And it's difficult because the next verse, just after James says, without fault, he says, but ask in faith with no doubting. Because the one who doubts will not receive. And I was looking at this going, wait a minute. Isn't that finding fault? I mean, if, it's, if God's not finding fault, then why is doubt all of a sudden a fault? He says, don't expect your prayer for wisdom to be answered if you have doubt. How do we reconcile these two things? I, I think we have to take some time and understand doubt in the broader context of the Word of God. And all that it means. James goes on, he actually describes it and clarifies it even more. He says, doubt, the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. Then he says this, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So now he's defining doubt in a particular way that has to do with double-minded. If you look at the original, if you go back and you read Greek, it actually says double-souled man, a split-souled person. This is the first time this concept has ever been mentioned in the Bible. It's the first time this word, though, in the Greek appears in the Bible. Double-minded or double-souled. In Psalms 12, it says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. And here he says, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Hosea talks about having a false heart. Psalm 119 talks about pursue God with a whole heart. In fact, if you go read Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And then Jesus affirms that over and over again. You see it affirmed, love the Lord your God with all. Not split, not doubled, all, complete. 100%. The reality is that there's, there's something he's describing here that, that creates a, a bit of a, a, of a question. Um, because I think every Christian has struggled with doubt throughout their walk with God. In fact, if you go and you read through some of the stories of what you would say are the heroic saints of the Bible, they struggled with doubt. They didn't have perfect faith. Psalms 35, in fact, if you read through Psalms, you see them wrestling with doubt. How long, O Lord, in verse, uh, chapter 35, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. It goes on to say, you've seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake, rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my Lord, my God. Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? These songs are expressing the doubts that trials evoke in us. Is God just simply looking on? Is God silent? Is, is God asleep? Why has God forgotten me? It's like his face is hidden from me. Abraham didn't have perfect faith. Moses didn't have perfect faith. David didn't have perfect faith. But were they double-minded? Were they doubting like James is talking about? That God put them in the hall of faith. You know, sometimes I wonder if we sanitize the Bible and it makes it cleaner when they do it. But in reality... They didn't feel that way, really, like what we feel. Now, they didn't struggle with anger or depression, confusion, those doubts that trials bring on. And, and I think there, there is a, a type of doubt that is an honest doubt, not a double-minded doubt. There's an honest doubt that says, I'm going through this, and I want to talk to you, God, about this, and I don't understand it, and it causes me to doubt you, but here I am talking to you. Psalm, one, Psalm 13, we just read the dissonance and the struggle and the doubt. It goes on to say, but I trust in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 35, the other one we were just reading from, says this. He says, I will thank you in the congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. These two passages, I think, are great examples of that authentic or, or honest doubt. And, and by this, I mean that we've gone too far with God to reject him. We're ruined in every good sense of the word. There's a moment where Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, are you guys going to leave me too? And they're like, where else are we going to go? We're in this with you. We got no one else. There is no other loyalties. There's no other contingency plan. And I think honest doubt drives us to God. When the pain's deep and when the sorrow it goes on forever, we start to write songs like the psalmist, right? And God meets us there. And we, feel, we find ourselves not tossed about like those waves, but held fast by God. I think what would be worse is to create a church environment where people are not allowed to express the doubts that come up in trials. Rather fake it, pretend you're perfect, and not a wreck. I mean, I kind of cracked that joke at the beginning. Some of you weren't here I said, how are you all doing? You're like, uh, fine. And, and I said, well, you know, don't tell me if you're not. But how often is that the environment? We really don't want to know. I don't think that's the doubt that James has in mind. He goes actually for a very specific kind of doubt. It's a double-minded, double-souled doubt. And he says it looks like a wave tossed around by the wind and the sea. I want you to look at this clip of a wave 
tossed around in the ocean. It's about 20 seconds long. This is double-minded doubt. It's, to use an obvious word, fluid. Where does it start? Where does it stop? Where did that wind get its momentum and then it gets pushed this way? Is it going that way? Is it going this way? That's a double-mindedness doubt that James is talking about. It's someone who's not fully loyal. It's a soul that has multiple allegiances, will change allegiances depending on the circumstances. I've been reading a book uh, called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. I referenced it a couple weeks ago. But he talks about this. He has a whole chapter on double-souled, double-minded. And he says, when somebody is double-souled, they are never sure what temptations are worth resisting or what sacrifices are worth making. And there's an instability that happens, and it's a description of what's going on inside. Inside, it is like a wave tossed around by the wind. And when it's inside like that, eventually it bleeds out into life. You can't help but let that happen. It's the Christian, he's writing to Christians, it's the Christian that never never follows through or commits totally to Christ. So in, in the trials, a person tries to play both sides, the wisdom of the world and somehow keep that going in, the wisdom of Christ. And over, over time, it's really the, they're trying to hold on and get anchor points, but they're holding on to things really that have no anchor. And so what happens is they want to come to God and say, oh, can you give me wisdom even as their hands are holding on to things and arms are holding on to things? And God's over here saying, I'm the God who gives wisdom without fault. The problem is you don't have any more room for my wisdom. You're not holding on to me. You're holding on to this. You can't receive my wisdom. It's not that God doesn't give or doesn't want to give. It's that the person does not want to receive. He says that. He says, don't miss this. Don't even think you'll be able to receive anything. Why? Because you're double-minded. You've got this allegiance over here that says this is more stable. This is more wise. I'm going to hold on to this rather than God. It means you have to let go of all the other things and hold on to the only one, Christ. Is that you this morning? not really sold out for Christ, not really fully committed, trying to play both sides, got your arms full of all all of life on your terms and and trials, and you're you're just kind of wanting God's wisdom your way, your terms, your definitions. If that's your life, that's why you don't receive from God. It's not his choice, it's yours. 
Now, there's a couple nuances in this verse that uh, I think we need to touch on because over the years of being a Christian and in ministry, I've heard these used, and they've been used in appropriate ways and inappropriate ways. One of the complexities of this verse is this whole idea that if you doubt, you will not receive. And, and people conclude, if you, your prayer is not answered by God, it must be because you don't have perfect faith, you have doubts. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, she's a quadriplegic, incredible woman of God, has never been healed by God. And she's had people come up to her and say, you're not healed because you don't have faith which is so offensive. Here is this woman of God, greatly used by God. Evangelicalism, Christianity, Protestant Christianity within the U.S., the evangelical church is a broad umbrella, and it includes a lot of, a whole spectrum, I would say, within that. There's a spectrum on this side that is what we would say is, um, I would say, and I'm going to paint a broad brush. Um, I grew up in a Baptist church, not hating on Baptists. This is a broad brush, and every broad brush, every generalization always has exceptions. So hear me on this. But on this side of the spectrum, you have this tradition that, that talks about this idea of suffering and the Baptist, that side of evangelicalism has, a, uh, I think, an incredible grasp of the theology of suffering. They get the Christian life, the cross of Christ, the suffering servant. They understand that, and they raise in that tradition people who understand that suffering is part of the Christian life. It's a great strength of that background. And the reality is, when you come into the book of James, James teaches a theology of suffering. What does theology mean? It's just a fancy word. It does, it's not that great of a word. It's just theology. Ology is the study of God, right? Theos. So it's the study of God's thoughts about suffering. So James comes in, and he has this great understanding, a, a, a great theology of suffering. Like, it's part of the Christian life. You have to understand that trials come to Christians, and God uses them to perfect us and complete us. The Baptist side of evangelical churches gets this and teaches this, and, and what happens is people can come alongside and look at this verse and say, oh, you know, they must have doubt. God's not healing them. They have a lack of faith. And it's an incorrect and abusive and offensive way of applying it. The reality is, though, you can't unsay what James has just said. Doubt can cause people not to have their prayers answered. It has the other nuance, though, and that's the other side of this thing. Verse 6 talks about faith. Ask in faith. Pray in faith. If we have faith... 
God will give us wisdom generously. And there's another side of evangelicalism that's over here, and it's what you would call far end is Pentecostal and starts to go back, Assemblies of God, and, and the, the Christian Missionary Alliance and the Assembly of God used to be the same denomination. I don't know if you knew that. Over 100 years ago, we were all one denomination. It was all happy and everything, and then big splits and blah, blah, blah. What ends up happening is over time, generalization again, but the Assembly of God denomination took the faith aspect of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And you look in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and even the 80s, the Christian Missionary Alliance became more Baptist in understanding their faith, and it was all about the theology of suffering, but they'd lost the faith aspect. And see, what, what's happened over here is there's a theology that I, I think is incorrect. It's called dispensationalism. And that's simply a fancy word that says God has moved in different ways at different eras, which is true. And they would say, well, the church of today no longer has the power and the authority that you saw in the early church. The Christian Missionary Alliance was founded over here saying, wait a minute, no. That is for today. That power, that authority that God has given us is still active and still available to us. And you see that over in the Assemblies of God and the, the Pentecostals. And, 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 and there's something that you cannot, you can't write it off. There's something about faith and not doubting that God honors and God moves through. I wonder how much we leave on the table as Christians because we either doubt or we don't think to even ask because how would God ever do that? That's impossible. And it's not necessarily that we're double-minded, but we're just raised maybe with that mindset. And, you know, sometimes the argument I hear is, you know, when you start talking about faith and assembly of God, even Pentecostals, like, oh, no, we're going to start, like, barking on Sunday mornings and gold dust. And it's like, no, no. There is something that is huge as part of the Christian life. It is faith, and you can't write it out of here. We need a doctrine, a theology of faith without doubt, and we need a doctrine and a theology of suffering, and I don't know how these two meet. James is really comfortable with it, and that's the Christian life. And I think a lot of times we don't know how these two work together, but they do. And, and I don't know what it is inside of us that likes to go to opposites. Oh, it only can be this, or oh, it only can be this. Well, it's the extreme center. It's both. Have faith and ask without doubting. Understand your healing may never come in this life. God may want you to go through trials because it will perfect you. And your healing will come in heaven. And your peace, ultimate peace from trials and rest from trials will come in heaven. Or God may want to heal you right now. Why don't you just ask him? Why don't, you, why don't we just let go of all hedging our bets, right? And just come to him. Say, I got nothing else. You've ruined me. And I love it. And I don't know what to do. I mean, if you read this verse in a positive way, which I think would be great because it's negative, 
It's the no doubting, the one who doubts. It's, a, you know, it's all from a negative. Don't suppose, right? Well, what's the positive side of this? He says, look, I want you to come to me, ask in faith. So asking, what is asking? Well, that's simply prayer, right? Prayer is defined as communication with God, us talking to him, him talking to us. So he says, I want you to pray for wisdom. Come to God, pray to wi- for wisdom. He doesn't say that, but that's the implication of it. Verse 5 is all about prayer, calling out to God in the middle of trials. Lord, I don't understand. What do I do next? How do I move? Where do I go? What do I say? How long? All those things God says, I will give. And he says, he goes on this, I'll ask in faith. And then if you, sir, you see in verse 7, if you ask in faith, the person who does must suppose then he will receive something from God. You're reading the positive. You ask in faith, you better believe you're going to get something. God's going to answer. You will receive from the Lord. And not only that, you pray in faith, you will be stable in all your ways. You won't be driven, you'll be stable. Faith is not belief. James, another chapter later, writes, even the demons believe and shudder. So the the demons don't have faith. The demons do have belief. Faith is confidence. Confidence in whatever, in this context, it's confidence in God and who he is and who he said he was and that he will do what he has said. That's faith. So demons do not have faith in God. Their confidence is not in God. Their confidence is in themselves, in Satan, misplaced confidence. Our faith is in God. Our faith is is something where we're confident in who he is, that he is that great, that he is wise, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. And that reality is greater than any trial we go through. We should be known for our faith in trials. I don't know if you saw the, uh, I don't know, it was 2020, it's been on CNN, the gal, the Christian gal that was just a uh, uh, prisoner with ISIS and uh, killed, and they had a whole uh, article, and then at 2020 did an hour episode on this gal. And these people, I don't think the other people with her, they were doctors without borders, and, and uh, she was kidnapped with them, wasn't part of their organization. But they talked about how strong her faith was. And that there was a guy there saying, like, this gal was way stronger. And these, I mean, it, it was horrific what, what they did to her. It was just, it's a nightmare. Um, and there's this one guy that works with Doctors Without Borders. And he just said, there was a moment where the ISIS captors were saying to these other guys who they'd captured or whatever, um, she's converted to Islam. She's now part of Islam. And, you know, they have her dressed up in all the garb and everything. And she speaks up. She says, no, I haven't. I mean, she's putting her life at risk. 
but her faith is in God. And the story coming out of her captivity is the faith that she had in her God, the confidence that she had, the security that she had, that she wasn't a wave tossed about. She was this woman stable in the middle of one of the most violent circumstances you could be in. When we pray in faith and we are single-minded and we let go of that and we come to God and you're all I have, we will receive from God. Count on it. And he will make us stable in all our ways. I don't know, some of you here, as we sing this song at the end, it's called Trust You. And it's just a simple song, declaration of God to God that I trust you. I trust you, I trust you. And if you've never made that decision and you're sitting here going, man, I am like that wave. I am tossed everywhere. And maybe today is a day you just let go of all that so you can receive from God. And that's a heart decision. Maybe that's what you do during this song. Maybe if you're going through trials and there's an honest doubt and a struggle, maybe this is the day where you just tell them again, God, you know what I'm struggling with. You know how hard this is and how much confusion there is, and I do wrestle with doubts, but I am yours. I'm yours. Let's place our not just belief, trust, confidence, in him and here is promise that you will receive
if you sense God's prompting you to make that decision or to move towards that and figure out what that looks like, uh, we have some intercessors here. Just people that would love to talk with you and pray with you if you want that. Uh, if you're going through trials and it is a struggle and you want somebody just to pray, um, they'd love to pray with you as well. Um, I just want to say as a church, the prayer is what we have. Faith in God and prayer is how this church moves forward. It's how we move forward as Christians. And I don't know what your schedule looks like over this fall and spring as we get into the, the school year, but uh, I'd encourage you, look at your calendar. Um, I fear as a church we have more confidence in our building and a, a sound system. Or, or possibly we think somebody else is doing this and we don't need to do this, but uh, church, we need to pray. Uh, we need to pray. We need to come to God with faith and watch him answer. It's the only way we're going to see any kind of the kingdom come forward and work. And uh, the trials are too big. The trials are too hard. Uh, and it only comes in prayer. And uh, I encourage you, if you think about that, pray about that. Love to see you at the river on uh, Wednesday nights here, right over there. So let me pray. Lord, would you right now, full of faith, God, I am full and confident that you will do this. Would you make your face shine on each person right here and all our children? Would you light us up as we go? Would your glory fill each one of us as we enter this dark world and the trials that face us? Would your light shine in us? And would you give us your peace I bless each person in this building with your peace, each person in this room with your peace. I am confident you're doing this now. Send us out with your peace, Lord. Show us that we're not tossed, but we're secure. We're not unstable, but we're stabilized, <laughs> held fast by you. Amen. God bless you all.